Welcome everyone to our second episode of uh, our webinar series. Um, this webinar series, uh, as you know, came out uh, since what happened with COVID-19 and uh, a lot of the Islamic centers uh, canceled their events. So we wanted a way of connecting, connecting the community with experts um, in different areas. And the series has uh, started, uh, this is our second episode, and we typically cover one of our five core areas at Iqra Network. Um, uh, myself, my name is Fahad Al-Bin Ali, I'm one of the co-founders of Iqra Network, and um, we focus on five areas, Quran, uh, Prophet Muhammad والسلام, the uh, Arabic language, as well as family and uh, issues and the Islamic events and history. So uh, a lot of our, uh, the, our series will cover uh, and will touch upon one of these topics. Uh, today, inshallah, we're going to be focusing on the Arabic language, the language of the Quran. Um, uh, we have with us today, uh, mashallah, Brother uh, Taimur uh, Mirza. Uh, Brother Taimur is uh, the Arabic instructor uh, and actually the one who founded the Arabic program uh, at the Islamic Center uh, in uh, Irvine, California. Uh, Brother Taimur will uh, provide us uh, today with a lot of uh, tips and insights uh, about how to overcome the Arabic language barrier, uh, especially uh, uh, for those who are living in the West. Um, uh, Brother Taimur is an engineer uh, by profession, uh, but he has uh, uh, a lot of other certifications in the Arabic language. And uh, without further ado, we're going to get started. Brother Taimur, welcome, well, uh, welcome in this second episode. And I'd like uh, to hear, uh, first of all, welcome you and he give us some information about your family, uh, where you're coming from, uh, where do you live, uh, and uh, you can have the microphone. Alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. Nice to be with, uh, with you, brother Fahad. I hope everything is all all in well there in Madrid, Spain. Alhamdulillah, you're so far away, but Alhamdulillah, with the internet, it's amazing how distances can shrink, subhanAllah. So again, nice to be with you. Yeah, my name is Taimur Mirza. I was born in Hyderabad, India, uh, in a uh, long time ago, <laughs> in 1967. I've grown up mostly in North America. I came here when I was three years old. Uh, I have uh, been working for Verizon Communications since 1992. Um, it is, uh, it's a large global cellular, uh, actually more than cellular internet and cellular communications company since 1992. I wish I could retire because I'm very burned out of technology and my passion is Arabic. Uh, I, I'm married to uh, a very nice lady from Malaysia. Uh, she's from Kuala Lumpur. I have four kids, two sons, two daughters. And I live here in Irvine, California. I've been living here since 1985. Um, and uh, I'm, it's going to be a hot day today. So, but it's never too hot to learn Arabic. So I'm really excited to be on this program. Alhamdulillah, to share what I can uh, with you guys. And hopefully motivate you and inspire you and give you practical tips that you can integrate in your, in your um, quest to learn Arabic. Inshallah. Uh, Brother Taimur, uh, you mentioned you're from Hyderabad, India, and 
so Arabic is not your native language. And that tells us a lot about you, first of all, that you've become the instructor at the, the Islamic Center in Irvine. But tell me, how, how, did, how did that happen? What, what's the story behind loving the Arabic language? What, what inspired you to, 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 to pursue that? So a funny story, the sharara or the spark okay, that brought this about, it's, uh, there's a few factors, but a couple of them being prominent for me were uh, one time I was coming back from the Sunday school uh, that uh, my kids went to. And my kids, you know, they would have this picture of a duck or a tree. They would have, you know, the Arabic name next to it. And I was struggling. I was struggling, uh, you know, my son or daughter would ask, well, what's this? And how do you pronounce this? And I am struggling. The other uh, funny part was uh, when I first got married, I was reading the Quran in the transliterated Arabic. So for example, Bismillah would be B-I-S-M-I-L-L. And my wife noticed, noticed this. She mm -hmm. said, you know, this is not Arabic. This is not the Quran. And I said, I know. And I embarrassingly had to admit that when I got married, and I'm bringing these points up because hopefully some of you can relate to this. It was a climb. It was a climb for sure. The mountain of Arabic, I looked up and I said, oh boy. And you know, when she said, when I told her I didn't know the letters, trust me, I did not know the letters. And I was struggling and my, and my wife said, you know, she, she has a soft approach with things and she, I kind of knew what she was implying. It was time to learn Arabic. And here I am an engineer and I've, I've excelled in different areas, alhamdulillah. Why am I not excelling in Arabic? And one final point that is, I'm going to the mosque, I'm reading the Quran, and it's like this barrier that nobody likes to talk about. It's the white elephant in the room nobody likes to address, but it's there. And as long as it's there, because Allah put it there, you have to interact with it, you have to deal with it. So these were some of the things that inspired me. That's that's uh, that's very inspiring to me to hear that. So uh, let me ask you one thing: How how do you you think your journey uh, through the, the the kind of learning the Arabic language? What did that add to you? Um, you're an engineer. I'm assuming you're very analytical in everything that you do. Uh, and now you're deciding, okay, I'm going to switch gears and I'm going to head into learning a new language. And the Arabic language is probably called complex language, a rich language. So uh, how did that add to you? One must know, um, let's, let's, let's start with what the United States uh, Department of uh, Defense classify, how they classify languages. Very interesting. They take all the languages of the world and they say, they classify them according to what are the most difficult languages for English speakers to learn. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm sifting through these languages and subhanAllah, my language, Urdu, it came in at level three. So they have four levels. Level four, there's four languages in the world, according to the U.S. State Department. Uh, State Department, I think. Yeah, it was the State Department, I'm sorry. Four languages that are level four in terms of complexity, which means they're the most complex. Chinese, Japanese, Korean, and yes, Arabic. Mm -hmm. And it is a difficult language. So one must wonder, okay, why am I getting myself into this? Well, here's, you know, here, here's what it's added. First of all, as a Muslim, 
I made it first and foremost that this is a matter of religion. It's a matter of Islamism. It's a matter of the deed. So that's the first thing. Um, but uh, having said that, it has added tremendous amounts. I've, I've progressed tremendously in this deen, alhamdulillah, thanks to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This language serves as a bridge to concepts and ideas and admonitions and stories and beliefs and creedal issues in the Quran that, you know, if you don't know the language, you're, you always have that separation. Same thing with the statements of the Prophet or the Sahaba, etc. They came in Arabic. There's something that language does. There's something that language does to people when you can connect on a linguistic level, it adds to your existence in whatever beliefs you have. As for us Muslims, it added a lot to my being. That's number one. Second, yeah, Arabic is a complex language. I call it linguistic engineering. Arabic is, there's a lot of, you know, it seems like models and patterns and formulas. And when you're building a sentence, you're not really building a sentence, you're crafting a sentence using principles. And to get to the finished product, such as the realization of what the sentence is saying or what somebody is saying, or what Allah is saying, or what the Prophet is saying, that adds a lot to your life. It's, it's amazing. And you know, I, for, my, for myself, I've said, I wanna lead a meaningful life. I don't wanna lead a boring life. <laughs> boring life is boring. You really yeah. want to add spice to your life. And uh, I would, the other thing I want to add real quickly is it has, in, amazingly enough, it has improved me in my field of network engineering. And it's amazing how that works, not to get into too many details, but when you pick two disciplines that are completely apart from each other, such as playing basketball and playing ch uh, chess, it's amazing how both synergistically complement and strengthen each other, you know? Or for example, you, you hear of the, uh, of, of the person playing piano, and I'm, I'm, I'm not promoting the playing of piano, but I'm just using it as an example. Someone plays the piano and excels in math and science. There's a cognitive relationship there. So from that perspective, it's amazing. Arabic has really done uh, a lot uh, in that. And I've used, yes, my engineering principles to help me in Arabic as well. Because you have to think systematically and analytically, yes. Do you feel that uh, learning a new language adds to your also analytical abilities? Like, uh, I've, I've, I believe I read once an article that certain areas, even of the brain, get more activated. And that kind Absolutely. of uh, um, helps a lot. So it, it's fantastic to hear that. Um, Brother uh, Taimur has, I want to emphasize, has a fantastic channel uh, on YouTube. Uh, I'm going to share it with everyone right now. Uh, and I encourage everyone to subscribe to it. Uh, it discuss, talk to us a little bit, Brother Taimur, about this channel. How did that come about? And I know you have uh, just started. And uh, you have a lot of, me being a native Arabic speaker, I thought it was very ins uh, instructional for me and very useful for me to listen to your episodes. So can you give us kind of a brief overview of what the goals of this channel and how did it come about? Yeah, so about, uh, you know, I've always been interested uh, since I've learned Arabic uh, in, the, in focusing on 
and being interested in morphology, you know, the structure of words and how all these uh, cognates and syntactical structures come about in Arabic. Arabic, I'm, it's, it's mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing. How things just come together, snap like Lego. If, if Arabic was a toy for kids, I would call it Lego because things just snap. And there's other things that don't snap and they don't snap because they're not supposed to snap. You're doing something wrong. So the, it's, Arabic is a colorful Lego, linguistic Lego. And, you know, you have fun with it. It's cool. You know, it is actually cool. I love it. Um, but, you know, it's, I, I'm sorry, the focus of your question was the, the YouTube channel. I don't know. How did that come about? Now, um, couple of, so I've been giving khatras after Salat al-Fajr at the masjid since 2013. And uh, there's a couple of mosques I give khatras at least before COVID for, the, for, for years now. One of the things I thought about is how do I entice the listeners who stay for the khatra? How do I entice them to connect with the Quran? Because with all due respect to some of our shuyukh, it's not enough to just throw blanket statements or cast blanket statements. You must learn the Quran or you must engage in the Quran. This is very abstract language. You actually have to uh, build a practical approach with your listening public. You have to relate to them. If you don't relate to them and if you don't uh, stimulate them to learn, then you're not going to get anywhere. So in what I thought about a couple of years ago, which I started, is, okay, let's add something to this patra. Let's try to keep it short, but let's add something. And what I did was, I said, you know what? Let's start with the letters. That's a very logical place to start. You know, let's not start laying up here. Let's start with the building blocks, the Lego pieces that are, get, are, get, are going to uh, enable you to build something, right? So I started with the letters, and what I started doing is, I said, you know, most of the nouns and verbs in Arabic are built upon three letters, three root letters. Arabic is a Semitic language, just like Hebrew, and very logical place to start. So every week, I would pick in order, in alphabetical order, I would pick three root letters, and then I would talk about the meanings that are associated with those letters, and then I would build on and say, okay, the nouns and the verbs that can be extracted or derived from these root letters, and then let's bring the point home. Why are we doing this? It's not so you can read Al Jazeera. Yes, I read Al Jazeera, but it's not to read Al Jazeera. It's not to read poetry. Yes, it's nice to read poetry. But as Muslims, I'm trying to connect you. I'm holding you by the hand, giving you some nice Arabic candy in your hand and say, hey, here's the destination. Al-Quran Kareem. So at the end of the Qadr, I would give ayat, three or four ayat, on where these root letters appeared. When COVID hit, in Ramadan, we, you know, we had COVID-19 and we had Ramadan. So I was thinking, why not put this to a channel? You know, uh, a lot of people were telling me the stuff, you know, in the last couple of years when I was uh, doing this Khatara, a lot of people come to me and said, Are you, I hope you're writing all this down. I said, yeah, I have my copious notes. Today. Why don't you put it in a channel form? So we, uh, I said, I, you know, I made dua. I said, oh Allah, this is right. You know, through the istikhara, I said, let's go ahead and let's go ahead with it. 
You know, I'm not, as much as I deal with technology, I'm not a YouTuber. I am definitely not a YouTuber. But I researched it. I put it together. Alhamdulillah, I took off. Uh, and, and that's what I do. What I just said in the Khatara is what I do in the, in the YouTube, but I put it in visual format, you know. Um, so, yeah. So uh, what I'm hearing from you, first of all, everyone, I suggest go to this channel, subscribe to it. It's a fantastic episode. You get one every few days, I believe, or maybe once a week. And, once a week. Yeah. yeah, once a week. And it's, uh, it's really uh, uh, very beneficial. Um, so the key, you mentioned one important uh, point here, which is that you kind of related, you, you kind of analyzed the letters, then related back to the Quran. So are you saying that it's, it's key for every Muslim to pursue the Arabic language in order to understand the Quran, or is it just sufficient for me to get an interpretation and that's it? Uh, should I actively pursue uh, my kind of, and, and try and learn the language actively or just uh, it's fine to just get a, a, a an interpretation of the quran and use that uh i always and i think you can probably guess what i'm going to say <laughs> mm -hmm. i i'm all about if you have a functioning brain and if you have a certain amount of time during the day and i think we have we all have it. none of us are going you know non-stop uh, unless you're working two jobs and you're not getting enough sleep you have time you have time you especially have time during times like this like, like in the pandemic but you have time in the weekend you have time during the week it's all about what do you want out of this life i feel that it is very important to learn the arabic language to understand what allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has conveyed to us through his his way both the quran and the sunnah some people might say, you know what? I've heard this at the mosque. I've heard professionals, engineers and doctors say, and I'm not exaggerating here. If God wanted me to be an Arab, I would have, and I would have known the language. Apart from that, I, there's nothing I can do. And I pulled the brother back who said that in the parking lot one day, and I said, if, if someone who is not very uh, intelligent told me that and who struggles, uh, maybe I may accept it, but not from you. You know, you have the wherewithal. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you the capacity. It is very important to learn the Arabic language. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna anzalnahu Qur'anan Arabiya. We have indeed revealed it in Arabic Qur'an. Now when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed it, Allah knows that most of the world is not Arab. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that. Allah knows where to place his message. Allah Azza wa Jalla, He could have revealed a, a, a Quran in every language possible so that people would have access to it. He did not do that. But did Allah Azza wa Jalla intend that there be a barrier between non Arabs and the message? No. So there's an implication there that we must learn Arabic. Someone might say, you know what, can I be a good Muslim and not learn Arabic? I will, my opinion is there are very good Muslims who do not know Arabic. They give sadaqah. They, do, they, they, they stay up the night in prayer. That's it. We cannot take that away from them. And Allah knows best what's in their hearts. There are so many good Muslims who don't know Arabic, but that's not the question. Allah says, 
The most honorable of you are the most, the ones that have taqwa, most taqwa. And that person may not know Arabic, but he has taqwa. He, he sheds tears when he hears even a hadith in English. But th that's not the point. It's not for us to take away their Islamicity or our, their connection to the deen. But the point is, if you are a Muslim, you need to take your deen up a notch or two or three. If you want to understand what Allah is really saying, you cannot get that from a translation. And as a Muslim, I am telling you, I am witness to this, both for myself and for, alhamdulillah, my beloved students. They when they learn the Arabic language, it tremendously improves their being, their connection to the being. There is no doubt about that. There is absolutely no doubt about it. The question is, do you want to learn? Uh, do you want to leave this life and not know what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says? And I'll, and I'll leave it one, one last thought. There are, some may say, you know, Arabic is a difficult subject. Well, you know, there's a lot of difficult subjects in the world. Java programming is difficult. Medicine is difficult. Engineering is difficult. I'm learning a Python program. For me, that's difficult. Okay. The question is, is it's not whether it's difficult or not. That's not the question. The question is, do you want to pursue that? And if not, why? Why do you not want to pursue that? You know, and for someone I heard just this morning, I was talking to my mom this morning and she was talking to her friend and my mom was talking about Arabic. My mom is one of my students. She, the friend told her, eh, we read the translation. That's good enough for us. Now, you hear this a lot. I read the translation, it's good enough for me. That says a lot more than simply not studying Arabic. What that tells me is one of, you're one of two people. Either you don't take things in life seriously, that you take things superficially, and that could be anything, not just learning, eh, I don't need to learn Quran, I'll just use the translation. Eh, I don't need to pay the bill to the... Uh, electric company, they'll send me a reminder. Eh, I don't need to, you see my point? They go, this is how they go through life. There's the other type that they're serious in things that gain them a, a material advantage. Whether it's landing a spouse, a job, uh, whatever it is, fame. Um, if that's not there, then they don't take that thing seriously and they're very selective. So you have two types of people who I noticed that don't pursue the Arabic language. Either they're not, they're selectively serious about things in life, or they're not so serious at all in many things. I hope that, I hope that's not too convoluted. I, I hope that point is clear. No, I, th I think it's, uh, it's very clear. Uh, just a note for everyone, if you have any question, please type it in the chat. We're going to go over your questions at the end. So um, adding up to your point, Someone would come and say, uh, and we've heard that a lot in Iqra. Iqra, we do offer Arabic lessons um, to students. Many of them are younger students. Someone would come and say, um, well, I don't, uh, if you don't learn Arabic when you're young, there's no chance you're going to learn it. So what do you have to say about that? And that I'm a human dalil for that. I'm a human dalil. I'm a human proof that that's not the case. And by the way, that's a very good question. Studies actually have been done which are refuting this idea. 
which are actually refuting this idea. Because there's things that you have as an adult that you can incorporate in your learning. Um, what you need is the following. You, first of all, you cannot learn Arabic by yourself. Let's all get that out of the way. I tried that. I know others that have tried it. There is no way. I trust me. There is no way you can learn Arabic. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward your efforts at Iqra Network. I'm hoping you revive your news, slow news in Arabic. I love that. Uh, I share that with people. That is excellent. I hope you revive that, by the way. Um, so, you, yeah. You cannot learn Arabic by yourself. Arabic can become a very abstract subject. An abstraction, an abstract subject taught in the incorrect way will distance the student and the student will give up. Young or old. And, but your question is, you know, your question is, if you miss that, if you miss the boat in learning it young, can you learn it? Yeah. Uh, again, studies have refuted that. I started studying when I was 36. Okay. I'm 52 now. Mm -hmm. I'm 52. And, and I, alhamdulillah, and, and mashallah, I learned when I was 36. And I employ techniques that I share with my students. I don't, I'm not necessarily going to get into them unless we, you know, we, we delve into the detail. But I'm just simply saying, you need an excellent teacher. It, it's not like you're, whether you're young or old, this applies. You need an excellent teacher. I have Ustad Ahmed Hassan, who I remain friends with. He's in Cairo. One of my best friends, Alhamdulillah, who was my teacher. By the way, he's 20 years younger than me. He's 20 years younger than me. And he's a master at grammar and morphology. And you can switch between Abiyah and Fusqa like night and day. And you need, so that's one thing. You need an excellent teacher. You need discipline. There are many things that an adult has that a child does not have. And one of them is discipline. Yes, there's advantages that children have in the sense that they don't analyze everything and they just hear and then they play it back. Someday they just start speaking. Boom. Yes, they have that advantage. But adults have the advantage of discipline and thinking and establishing relationships with people. So a teacher, the discipline, the opportunity, opportunity present, for example, in a good institution, in a good, you know, having good content. And even the dynamics and even little things. I give my students tips like, for example, always use headphones, right? Headphones help, especially when you're trying to listen uh, in a class or you're trying to listen to some audio piece. Headphones are very important. Headphones are very important. Uh, and one more thing I would like to say is adults can be good at this where kids may not be good at this. And that is managing the clutter and the distractions that assault us day and night in, in the form of social media. If you are an adult, it's not too late, but there are these things you have to consider. When you study, for example, this needs to be away from you. You need to keep that away. You can't be continuously notified that you have a Facebook message or a WhatsApp message. You need to stop watching and reading most of the WhatsApp messages you get. 
that will mentally drain you because at the end of the day, how are you going to study? I have a class later today about triliteral and quadriliteral verbs. How are you even going to fathom that? After, you're, you're so drained emotionally and mentally from arguing about is this halal and haram since Fajr, and it's now four o'clock in the afternoon. You are a spent force, my man. <laughs> you cannot study. You have to keep your brain fresh. So yes, it's not too late for any adult to study Arabic, actually to study any subject. But you have to keep these things in mind. Very important. Yet you as an adult also can motivate yourself. Very important. So no, it's not too late. I'm proof of that. And there's other, we have a sister in the community. She's mashallah, she's in her uh, 70s, late 70s. She memorized, she's from Egypt. She memorized Al-Quran Kareem. Yes, she's an Arab, but that's not the point. The point is, you know when she started memorizing? In her 60s. Mashallah. In her 60s. And she memorized it. Where there's a will, there's a way. You know, make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do that. You know? Allah, uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, uh, you know, be keen on what benefits you. And seek help in Allah. And do not falter. Do not falter and stumble and give up. You know, we only have one life. You might as well, you might as well pursue it. Uh, very, very, very interesting. And uh, one of the things that I'll mention is we have, we do see cases in Iqra where students uh, kind of accomplish things in a, in a very quick time. Uh, another example related to memorizing the Quran, we just had a post about a student who memorized it in two years. He accomplished that through discipline. Um, some uh, uh, parents are concerned because uh, they don't speak the language. They don't speak the Arabic language. So they say, okay, I'm going to put my kids, for example, in Arabic lessons. But at the end of the day, I don't care about that. I care just him. He, I need him to recite the Quran correctly. And that's it. Uh, and there's no way he's going he's gonna to be able to learn the Arabic language because I don't speak it at home. Uh, can that barrier be overcome? Uh, or is that, is that some, and, and, and if you can give us some tips on how to, over, practical tips, how can I overcome that? It can be overcome, and here's, here's a, I will give you a practical tip, inshallah, um, and uh, hopefully you all agree with me, and that is, if you notice that our Islamic, the problem is bigger than Arabic, by the way. There's a construct here, there's a so, social dynamic in play that unfortunately we are perpetuating in our Islamic centers and our weekend schools and our homes, etc. And what is that? We as parents want our kids to do something that we ourselves don't. Isn't there something wrong with that? We want our kids to go learn Tajweed, yet we ourselves don't know Tajweed. We, are, we want our kids to spend hours with a Mu'allim to learn Hef, to memorize Al-Qur'an Kareem. We ourselves don't do that. It seems as if we are vicariously living through the, our kids. Yes, there are reports. Uh, yes, our dean tells us to raise our kids in a certain way and that we will be rewarded for it. Nobody's denying it. But that doesn't mean, that, that's not to say that you yourself could use a little bit yourself. 
And what happens is we have so many masajids in Islamic centers and schools where the, the ones, the parents who are dropping the kids at curbside, they themselves don't know memorizing. They themselves don't know tajweed. They themselves don't read Al-Quran yet they want their kids to do that. Arabic just comes right behind them. And I sat in a teacher's council. There's actually a Southern California Arabic teacher's language council here. It's very established. I went to one of their seminars, and in that seminar, they were saying, you know, we need to encourage Fusha. We need to encourage the proper Arabic, etc. And I asked a question, and I said, that's fine. But what I have not heard yet is when these kids come back into your homes, I'm not Arab, but I'm sure in your homes you don't speak Fusha. You speak Ahamiya, you speak, speak colloquial Arabic. Where are the kids going to learn on how to interact with what they, uh, and use based on what they're learning? So your question, what's a practical tip? Well, the practical tip is very simple. And I've actually mentioned this to Arab parents. You yourself should be speaking Fusha. And if you forgot, you need to go back to school. You need to start taking classes again. This goes for Tajweed or whatever you're, it's, it's kind of hypocritical to get your kids to learn something you either outright refuse or you just look the other way when someone tells you about it. It's kind of hypocritical or a double standard, let me just say. That's a double standard. You should be learning that. You should be learning this. And I have struggled with many on this. You know, in the mosque a few years ago, I sat with teachers, Arabic teachers, Arabic teachers told me, they wanted me to just sit in and listen, maybe provide some advice. Arabic teachers told me that we have, and I won't mention the countries, but there, there, there's many Arab countries. The parents are saying what you say. When we want our kids to learn Arabic, this is them and the parents telling the mosque. When we want, when, when our kid, when we say we want our kids to learn Arabic, we want them to learn the Arabic so we can, the colloquial Arabic so we can speak at home. I'm going to tell you as an Indian, I'm not going to spend my life as much as I love uh, you brothers and sisters from Egypt or anywhere. I'm not going to sit here and learn colloquial Egyptian so that me and Fahad can trade jokes and drink tea. Although that's nice. I wouldn't mind a quiet afternoon like that. We could do that. But that's not my point. Life is short. I don't know when Allah's going to take me. I need to impress upon these parents the way to remove this barrier is you yourself have to do that. And if you're not Arab, because it goes for the non-Arabs too, I keep stressing this to you. Every, you know, every mosque I go to, I do these presentations. It's not about just your kids. It's about you too. It, isn't it high time? I, my friends, for example, I tell my, until this day, my friends know this, until I'm blue in my face, I say, guys, we are in our 40s and 50s and 60s now. And we're, we're, some of us are saying, eh, it's too late. And others are saying, yeah, you know, Arabic is really important. Yeah, but you told me Arabic is important 25 years ago. You haven't done nothing about it. We have to get out of this. Saying that Arabic is important is not learning Arabic. Let's just be clear about that. That's not the same thing. Yeah, so, so, so what I'm hearing from you is it has to be a priority. We have to make Big it a time. priority in our lives. Uh, it's very easy for us to make uh, sports a priority for our kids. 
it's very easy to make, okay, uh, programming classes, uh, but when it comes to Arabic, many people might not uh, uh, treat it as, as seriously as uh, they treat other subjects. Um, if, I can, if I can just interrupt uh, yeah. one thing. Yeah, that's very important, by the way, because if you could be an invisible, uh, if you could be a fly on the wall in somebody's house, let's say somebody told you that, you know what, Arabic is not a priority in my life right now. Is that necessarily not justifiable? It may be justifiable. He may be taking care of an elder parent that it takes a lot of time and effort to take care of that parent. And at the same time, that person is trying to hold down a job. Maybe it's a single parent, okay? And maybe, you know, I, he, that person has two kids and he's just struggling and he just, man, that makes sense. Of course, that's not your priority in life. Arabic is not your priority. I've had students say that. Alhamdulillah, all the students that have dropped out, okay, of, you know, because they just, for whatever reason, they have come back and told me, we didn't want to drop out but we're telling you we have this issue, we have that issue. So yes, it's, it's all about priorities. It's all, if you could, if someone tells you that, that you know what, Arabic is not a priority in my life and he doesn't have an excuse, let's say you know he's not really, he or she is not really being upfront with you. If you could not spy, but let's just say you knew about their life, person goes on picnics, organizes picnics and watches a lot of TV or is just, you know, hey, it's all about, let's all get together at Starbucks and have coffee and stuff like that. I am telling you, I am not exaggerating. We have this makeup at the masjid. I see it with my very own eyes. People who are telling me that Arabic is not important, I can see that, oh, after Fajr, let's go bike riding. They have a bike club. Alhamdulillah, it's good to bike. Nothing against biking. Oh, the brothers are getting together for basketball. Oh, what happened to Eric? So I, I silently observe this. I don't call them out and I don't go interrupt the basketball game and go, guys, you told me that you're busy. You guys are playing basketball. Or guys, we have eight brothers sitting in a Starbucks. <laughs> I'm not going to go break it up and say, hey, you know, you, you get my point. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about your lifestyle and priorities. Yeah. No, no, no. That, that's a good point. Um, we've got a lot of questions, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start going through them because I want to make sure that we get uh, some of them answered. So uh, the first question from Brother Shafi, uh, he says, how long will it take to master Arabic? That's kind of a tough question, I guess. Yeah, and the answer is, I don't know, and there's reasons for that. One is, there's so many, dy the dynamic is, 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 um, multi-aspect, okay, uh, multi-faceted, I should say. It depends on you. It depends on, you know, I'm, when I say you, I mean your internal makeup. I don't know, every, Allah has a hardwired everybody differently, okay? I don't know your, what makes you tick. I don't know, you know, uh, what motivates you and pushes you. Uh, and I don't know your intellectual capabilities, et cetera, et cetera. So there's, there's the you factor. I don't know uh, you. So from that perspective, I don't know. I also don't know from another perspective, how good is the teacher? How good is the teacher? The teacher, it has been said in many subjects, 
the teacher can make or break the student. He, can, he or she can demoralize the student. He or she can bore the student to death. But, and then that student may construe the subject, the student may equate the subject with the teacher. So that, you know, uh, kind of in a Pavlovian way, when they hear Arabic, the first thing that comes up is the teacher's face. They're like, oh, no, no, no. no I, I've been through Arabic before. No, you haven't been through Arabic. You have been through that teacher who is teaching Arabic. That's what you do. So the teacher is important. The content is important. The content is important. Uh, and then, you know, also the lifestyle is important. What kind of a lifestyle do you need? Are you heavily dependent on social media? Are you heavy? Are you a heavy blogger and Facebooker and you're on WhatsApp all day? Um, you sit and watch Mufti Men and Noman Ali Khan videos all week. I mean, these are going to affect your learning. They are going to affect your learning. I and the other thing is, um, what's your focus in discipline? Because I find there are students, and I've seen them, uh, not just students, but just people in life as, in general. They have the focus and attention span of a child, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. Meaning, if you're talking to them about something, if a bird flies or a squirrel runs across the floor, they immediately latch onto that. You know, they leave me in the lurch. Mm -hmm. If you have that kind of a focus and discipline, you need to fix that first. You need to maybe take some classes. You know, even if you have to go and listen to, you know, uh, even if it's not a Muslim telling you how to increase your discipline and focus, go take that class. I strongly recommend, by the way, a book. Uh, I recommend this to Arabic students. And maybe I'll give it to you, Fahad, uh, inshallah, the name. Uh, you okay. can type it in. Cal Newton. He's a programming professor in, in the East Coast here. Cal Newton, and the book is called Deep Work. Deep Work. Amazing book. You read that. It's a very short read. You can read it in a week or two. Read that book. It's called Deep Work. I recommend it to Arabic students because if you have that type of mental outlook, Arabic becomes easy. So the answer to Brother Shafi, yeah, it's really hard to say. It's really hard to say. No, but what I heard from you, three kind of tips that are so critical is discipline and making it a priority. Your teacher, having a really good teacher and kind of the, the content, the, the, the kind of content that you're studying or kind of those three will kind of minim maximize the chance that you probably will will make uh, will progress in in the language. Is that right? Is That's that absolutely right? And you know, it's it's not it's not rocket science. What you said, and what I said, it's people have heard that before. Yep. It's just it's just highlighting this. And by the way, there's a lot of stuff on the internet, but watching videos and reading books about Arabic is not going to cut it. You'll spread yourself thin, and you need that instant feedback. I had, alhamdulillah, Ustad Ahmed Hassan, Hafizahullah, in Egypt. Amazing person. Amazing person. I was going to quit. Okay, and I think, uh, let me mention this point, if you don't mind, with your permission. I was going to quit Arabic three times. Hmm. It was tough. I was sit there late at night, scratching my head, going, this does not make sense. And I would immediately contact, you know, Ahmed, uh, you know, with time difference. Of course, the answer, he may be awake at that time. And Alhamdulillah, he, he, he sat me down. He did not know English. 
and I'm communicating in Arabic. I said, Ustad Ahmed, I, I cannot. I just, I, I can't do this. Three times I did that. You need a teacher who will motivate you, but will also, when you are ready to quit, he will not let you quit. Ustad Ahmed Hassan, may Allah bless him and his family. He said, Abu Rashid, you are not going to quit. I'm going to help you till this day, Fahad. Till this day, if I have a question, because we never stop learning. You know, teachers are students, students are teachers. You know that, right? Yep. It's just a degree now. It's a, it's a variation. The ratio changes, but you're always a student and a teacher. I had a question on the ayah one time. And I said, this pronoun in this ayah, who does it go back to? This is, this is a very complex ayah. It comes his voice message. I know he just woke up. He prayed Fajr, and he woke up, and sometimes he sends me the message as if he's, he's I said, were you lying down in bed sending me this? He goes, it's okay, Abu Rashid, it's okay, I, I want to answer your question. That, you cannot find many teachers like that. Who, after Fajr, instead of going back to bed, decide to answer your question in detail. Yep. You need that. You need that. Yep. Very important. Mashallah, inshallah, everyone finds their uh, their teacher and keeps that motivation. That's that's what we we, we need, I think, to overcome um, the Arabic uh, kind of language and kind of grasp it as much as we can. So, Sister Sophia Qurashi, uh, she's uh, her question: What can be some habits developed every day to learn Arabic? Okay. Uh, before I, um, there's a statement I read by uh, Imam Al-Ghazali. He said something, before we get into the habits, I just want to mention this one thing very quickly. He said something very important about seeking knowledge. Learning Arabic is seeking knowledge. And it's not just any knowledge, it's knowledge that will help you in your view. And he said, if I can remember the quote, it's, uh, he said, if you were, if your purpose was in seeking knowledge, competition, and this is in his book, and notice he, just like the Shahada, La ilaha illallah, there's a negation, and then there's an affirmation. So he's telling here, if your purpose in seeking knowledge was competition, and showing off and if it was to show that you were just advancing against your peers and to turn people's heads so they look at you and finally the fifth point he said and if it was to amass and collect the debris of this world then he says, Then you are one who is striving to destroy your being. And to completely annihilate yourself. And to sell the hereafter for, the, for this world. And he said this, he said, he negated all this. If this is what your purpose is to learn, you have a problem. I have mentioned this to my Arabic students. You are not learning Arabic 
except for one reason. It's not to analyze ayat, which we do. It's not to analyze hadiths, which we do. It's not to know the grammar and the morphology and you walk around saying this is ma'olu bihi and this is, this is ma'olu because of this and this. No, at the end of the day, like Imam Rizal said, it's al-hidayah, guidance and seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Arabic, yes, it's a technical subject, but it's unique. It's not math. Math is a technical subject to build things and employ the principles of mathematics. This is a technical subject, but your objective is guidance and the hereafter. If you have this in mind, then the habits that the sister was asking about are clear. And the habits, it goes back to having structure in your day. Structure your day. Not just about Arabic. Make sure your day is structured. Make sure you have a specific time. Make sure that you're studying in solitude. Make sure you're not at Starbucks studying Arabic. Make sure you're not in the library with others at the table studying Arabic. No, the scholars have talked about solitude. It's more important to study for 25 or 30 minutes intensely with laser sharp focus, with no iPhone and no iPad, but focus deeply in quiet and solitude and not engaging anybody. And when a fire truck goes by, not looking out the window on where the fire truck is headed. No, no, no. You need to have solid focus. That is a habit you need to inculcate. So structure for your whole day. I'm going to eat lunch at this time. It was mentioned by many of the teachers of Quran, for example, that the scholars in the past, when they studied Al-Quran al-Kareem, they would have a certain diet. Okay? Uh, I tell my students things that have nothing, that seemingly on face value have nothing to do with Arabic. Don't take caffeine. I quit caffeine six months ago. It causes many concentration issues, anxiety issues, many health issues. Get rid of the caffeine. I'm telling you, living testimony for that, it improves. So from a health perspective, take care of your health. You know, if you are not exercising and you're just gluttonizing and eating, you know, even people's leftover cheeseburgers, I mean, if you're at that point, and you're going to be, your senses are going to be dull. If you're not getting enough sleep, that's a problem. So lots of coffee, lots of food, no exercise, lack of sleep. How are you going to study Arabic? Arabic is going to be like Mount, uh, uh, Mount Everest. It's like climbing Mount Everest. Not going to happen. So there's that aspect. So again, structure your day. Discipline in terms of how to study without distractions. Your health, your overall lifestyle. Okay? These are practical things that you can... These are, by the way, I'm mentioning Sahad and everybody because these are overlooked. These are, these are so overlooked. Uh, there's another kind of question uh, which kind of relates to how do you kind of increase your conversational fluency? Can, uh, can someone, uh, and someone is asking, how can we do yeah. that? Uh, and can we uh, be fluent speaker just by online courses or does that require more immersion? Uh, wh what do you recommend here? Excellent question. Excellent question. Um, I, I did not have the luxury to go to Egypt. I have, a, I have a family here and I have a job. 
and I can't just simply just pack up and go to Egypt and there's my son in Arnhem. <laughs> so uh, I did not have that luxury, okay? So I'm not in an Arabic environment, okay? And the Arabs that come to the mosque, only a handful of them, and I keep them close by my side till this day. May Allah reward them if, if they ever listen to me. May Allah as a reward them. Those handful who can speak Arabic properly, I always interact with them as much as I can. I exploit the situation. But I did not have that luxury, right, of growing up in an Arab environment, for example, like you did or, you know, the Arabs did, right? It's, it, we just didn't have that. So we have to compensate for that. So immersion is limited, right? I can't immerse myself. Um, and so what I did is... I said, okay, I need to come up, I need to read about some studies that have been done on how one can start thinking and processing speech quickly in another language, whatever language that is. I just read some general studies on how to do that. Here's some, here's some practical tips. I, I can't, we don't have time to give all the tips, but I'll give you some tips that I tell my students. And that is, let's first get something very clear. Understanding grammar and morphology will not enable you to speak Arabic, okay? How do we know that? Um, I say this with respect. There's many you here in the West, many scholars here in the West. And by the way, it's the new generation, the old generation of Arabs, the previous generation of Arabs, they're not, I'm not, a, they're not the focus here because they can speak Arabic. They can switch on and off, no problem. So those who are from the previous generation of Arabs who are scholars and shuyus, and they live, for example, in the Western countries, they don't have a problem because they grew up as Arabs. But who am I talking about here? It's the new generation of Arabs who, grew, who were born in this country. They, and I'm going to say this is just my opinion, the new generation of Arabs that were born in the Western countries Okay, or for, and I'll give exceptions here, for example, in the United Arab Emirates, like Dubai, etc. even those Arabs, okay, uh, and here are on almost, if not the same equal footing as the non-Arab when it comes to language. They cannot have a proper Arabic conversation. And I think, you know, with you not, I know you know what I'm talking about. So, you know, it's, we are in a very tough situation. So what do we do? Here's what I tell my students. You have to do quite a bit of reading to pick up vocabulary. Don't use word lists because word lists are useless. You have to learn words and practice them in their context. Words on a word list are like fish out of water. They die. You take a fish out of water, it's, it goes like this, and then it eventually dies. That's what word lists are. You have to use words in the context. You have to read. It took me in 2004 when I started studying Arabic, I would, for example, read the Quran or I would read, for example, an article from Al Jazeera. Do you know, Fahad, it took me a whole afternoon to read two or three paragraphs from an article in Al Jazeera in 2004. Very difficult. I'm looking up this, I'm looking up that, but that's how it is gonna be in the beginning. Eventually that will die down. So read. The other thing is, when you read, record your voice. Get your phone out and record your voice. 
and then put the text in front of you and you do this on a daily basis. You don't have to do a lot, but take two or three paragraphs from a, from a kid's book. And by the way, the kid's books in Arabic are excellent because even the Arabs will attest to this. They use some high language and yep. very good classical language, right? Yep. So a kid's storybook or a kid's Sita book, start small. You don't have to start with Al Jazeera or you don't have to start with, you know, a, uh, you know, a scholar's book. No, start with uh, a, a, a book, a kid's book. Read that quietly, not with your mouth. Go to audible reading. Read with your eyes. Understand every words. Make marks on where the word is uh, not making sense. Record that and then listen to it two or three times with the text in front of you. Then take the text away from you. And then what you do is you get out a piece of paper or now we have an iPad or a, you know, Apple pencil. Every third or fourth word, and I hope you, you guys are all listening here. Every third or fourth word, because you can't write down every word. Every third or fourth word that you're listening, write down in your language, whether it's in Urdu or whether it's in English, not in Arabic. There's a point to this. Write down in, in English, if you speak English, what the word means. What the word means. Okay? Or tra just translate the word. And do that three times. And every time you listen, if the sentence says, جَاءَ Muhammadun Muhammad came to the house and he drank milk. Just this sentence, you listen to it three times. The first time, write down what جَاءَ means. He came, okay? And write down maybe shariba, he drank. The second time you listen to it, try not to repeat the same translation. Then write down al-bayt, then write down halib. What are we doing here? It's not just comprehension. You know what you're doing and this is what people struggle with. You are training and tuning your brain to think quicker and quicker in Arabic. Because I'm gonna tell you, Fahad, and I know some of the students face this, when we get into a simple conversation in Arabic, the student will tell me, uh, I know what I want to say, but I just can't say it. I said, you know why? Because you don't try to practice what I'm saying or what I, what I told you to do because, you're, because you have it in your memory. The words are there the, and between your tongue and between the long-term memory, the fetcher, I'll just use a colloquial term, the thing that's going to fetch those words and put this together for you in a sentence so that it comes here and out of, rolls off your tongue, that's not working. And there's only one way you can, you know, it's just like oiling the engine or lubing the engine. There's only one way you can do that, and that is what I just told you, those steps that I told you. You do that day in, day out, I'm telling you, after a few months, maybe a year, you will understand Arabic at a faster speech uh, level. And you can chunk. I'll end with this. Linguists talk about chunking. What you don't want to, where people get overwhelmed, is they try to swallow the entire paragraph. That's not going to happen in the beginning. You have to chunk. So if you have to stop the recorder, stop the recorder in the beginning. And you don't process at a word level. What Arabic students, especially ones who are studying grammar and morphology, what they're trying to do is 
They're processing at a word level. How many times have you heard an Arabic student say, yeah, I, I kind of got the gist of the ayah because I, I picked up some words here and there. But you're processing me at a word level. I'm talking to you in English. If I told you to tell me what, what, is, the, what is every word that I just said, Bahad, in the last two sentences, you could not tell me. Yep. Maybe, maybe a genius could, but you could not tell me. But did you get the meaning of what I was saying? Yes, you did. You know why? Because you weren't focusing on every word as a discrete phonetic unit. You were focusing on a much more macro level, which is how our brains think. So that's where people get caught up in, oh, this Arabic sounds too fast for me. You know, when, when, uh, when my wife speaks in Malay to her family, that to me is fast, but she's not speaking fast. But my brain is not processing at that level. The tips that I said, that I mentioned there, that's what will get your brain uh, processing. It takes time to ramp up. Your brain is cold and has cobwebs right now. But these practices, I'm saying, they will heat the brain up and remove those cobwebs. And when things warm up, believe me, you will see, wallahi, by Allah, you will see, you will see the progress. You will see the progress. This is a fantastic, fantastic tip. And I can attest to it. I can echo it. I'm being in Spain right now and trying to learn the Spanish language. It helps a lot. And it's, it's, it's very effective. So I can attest to that even in other languages. Uh, one kind of, um, uh, uh, kind of other question, um, uh, how can we convince children of Arabs in the West of the importance of Arabic? Uh, or more generally, uh, children in the West of the importance of the Arabic language. Is there any way to convince them? Any tips? I don't think there's a way to convince them. And what I mean by that is kids, um, kids are impressionable. I'm not, a, you know, I, I'm not, I don't know too much about child psychology. I can just say what, I, what I've observed, right? And that is kids are impressionable in the sense that if they see you doing something and you incorporate them into your um, uh, pattern of, you know, your daily pattern, your daily routine, let's say you're studying Arabic and they see you do it and then you kind of incorporate them into that. Um, I think that's the best way because trying to, you know, sitting there and convincing them of Arabic, it's very hard for a kid to, you know, and it depends on the age, right? Um, you know, maybe a teenager starts thinking and analyzing, yeah, you may be able to uh, convince them that, you know, look, Arabic is part of the being and, you know, you understand understanding the Quran, uh, help you understand the text, etc. You may be able to do that to a teenager, but, you know, for young kids, I think my approach is, is my emphasis would be first to just get them to practice the basics of Islam. You know, sometimes I think we, we, we give them too much. And by the way, how do I know this? Because I made this mistake. You know, I, 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 I pushed the kids to Arabic. And by the way, you know, my kids, you know, they wound up not uh, pursuing Arabic, um, but, uh, you know, inshallah, they said they would, right? So I have to take them for their work. I have to say, okay, they're going to, my youngest one uh, takes an online class. He's eight years old. Uh, he's almost nine. He takes an online class from Egypt, but I'm going very, I, I don't want to push him. 
because what happens, especially in Ohio, especially we're in, in our Western countries, you push them towards something, it's very difficult to, you know, not have them repel. And I go back to the statement of Ali Abi Talib, Amir al You know, he said, um, your kids are created for a different generation than you. So it's, you, you can't just, you know, you can't just copy and paste your personality into them, right? It's, 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 it's tough. So I don't have, a, a, you know, an accurate or exact answer, I should say. I don't have an exact answer for you. I just simply say, we have to, everybody's different. Yeah, you know, someone sends you a YouTube video with a 60-year-old, you know, someone sent me a YouTube video of a 10-year-old girl who memorized the entire ditch Arabic dictionary. A 10-year-old. And, uh, and the, she's being tested. Now, if you send this to someone, of course it's going to demoralize them. And they're going to say, oh, my kids can't even, my kid doesn't even know what the Arabic word for house is. I mean, that's, the, that's an exception to the rule. That's an exception to the rule. Don't let that stuff demoralize you know. But as far as kids go, yeah, it's, I think the first thing is basics of Islam. And if they can, slowly, you can just take a soft approach with them in Arabic, you know. You don't want to leave a bad taste in your mouth. Uh, a, qu a question that came in, I've been studying Arabic with Ikhra for six months, but I don't feel like I've progressed. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. stuck with varying harakats, letters, etc. Is that normal? Is that, how can I improve? It's normal. I think what needs to happen is the person needs to reassess, and maybe the, the teacher can help in that, reassess where the problem is. You know, um, is it, is it, I get some students, for example, that say, hey, I'm having a lot of problems. And you know what, why they're having a lot of problems? They just don't spend the time. I know it sounds very simple. I mean, just, just reading something very quickly or not spending enough time on it is the problem. Um, you, I think the one, some, one would have to reassess their techniques, right? The teacher needs to do the same thing. Where is the breakdown? And it has, this is a very, uh, it's not a, um, you almost have to approach it methodically, methodically right? The, the teacher would check with the student on what are your study, study habits? Where are you, how are you studying? You know, it goes back to, without repeating all the stuff before, like the distractions, the discipline, et cetera. That has a lot to do with it. Um, if other students are not having issues with the content that ICRA has, then yeah, then that student needs to be assessed and, and basically go, where am I going wrong? You know, uh, what, what I would what I would recommend also uh, having uh, knowing that there is an academic team at Iqra, uh, you could definitely email that you want to talk to someone there, and they can get involved to do exactly what uh, Brother Taimun ju just mentioned. Uh, one uh, last question: uh, Is it okay for? Uh, well, well, I'll give you the last brother, question. I can, brother Farah, I, I think my class doesn't start for another three hours, so it's up to you. But I, I, you're not taking my time. I just want you guys to know that I can stay here for a long time because we are currently discussing my favorite subject, and it is Saturday in Southern California. It's a beautiful day. I can be here with you guys. Okay. That's great. Uh, so, yeah, we have a question. What are your thoughts on learning to write Arabic by hand versus using uh, today's technology with typing, Arabic keyboards, etc.? Is there a cognitive advantage in handwritten notes to learn vocabulary, yes. verbs? Yes. 
Yep. Yep. This is an excellent question, and it's not because it's from Yasa, but it's an ex ex excellent question. By <laughs> <laughs> this is very important. This is very important. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I will admit that all my studies from 2004 to 2011 was all on the keyboard. But then I quickly realized after I finished and I started teaching, I start and a brother who I studied, uh, one of our postats uh, here, uh, here in Southern California, he mentioned something very important. He said, we've lost the art of writing in Arabic. Mm. And there are tremendous cognitive benefits from writing. And it's just not Arabic. It's just not Arabic. It's also in my, at my job. You know, I, I write all my notes. I, the network diagrams that I do for Verizon Communications, they're all by hand. And I'll, by the way, you want to get something like this, you want to get an iPad and an Apple Pencil. It's amazing. It's amazing the things that you can do on it. So, yes. Now, how does it help specifically? Well, look at this. When you're uh, hitting a key on a keyboard, and by the way, for Arabic students, Apple has a $79 or $89 keyboard, and you can actually tell them to put the Arabic keys on it. It's free. They don't charge anything, so I'm just, I'm not a, I don't work for Apple, so I'm not a plug for Apple. But this keyboard is excellent. It's a wireless keyboard with Arabic on there, Arabic and English. Okay, having said that, though, what, what is the difference? What is the real difference? When I, when I want to let, uh, press the letter th on the keyboard, th, that's very easy to do because I can see the letter th here on the keyboard. It's right, it's paired with the letter X. It's on the lower left hand of the keyboard. I hit th, and immediately, with very little effort, almost no effort, except putting my finger on the th, the th, it comes on the screen. Voila, it's there. Okay. I did not do much thought there. And now if I wanna, if I wanna, for example, write the word ta'awila, table in Arabic, ta'awila. Well, ta, a letter ta, and then I type alif, and then I type wal, and then I type lam, and then I type ta'amabuta. All done that, right? I did that uh, five letters, very easy. I did that very quickly, by the way. So quickly that my brain couldn't even catch up with me. That's key. Listen to what I'm saying. I typed it so quickly, my brain didn't even process it. So guess what? Because my brain didn't process it, I lost a learning opportunity. I lost a learning opportunity. If I take that same word, Thawida, and I write it, I'm forcing my brain because guess what? My hand has to be coordinated with my brain and my eyes are like a medium. I'm writing. And I'm back, there's messages going back and forth. That's learning. That's ingraining. So from a cognitive perspective, if I'm writing Thawila, it is registering in my brain. And then my, and then when I move my hand in a certain way, I'm getting feedback from my brain saying, okay, yes, what you're doing is correct. So keep doing it. Or if I make a mistake with my hand, my brain immediately sends a signal. And my hand says, okay, stop that. That's a mistake. It's not ta'wila, it's ta'wila. I wrote a ta, and my brain's a mistake. So even mistakes with the messaging that it's going, 
with the messaging and the psychomotor aspect of this, right? That's learning. I'm just using a simple example. Now, can you imagine writing a whole sentence in Arabic? This is why I impress upon the students, write, write, write. Your homework should be written. Don't, don't type. Do not type. Now, in an online session, that's not possible. You know, like the academy that I went to or that, for example, Ikra Network, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of online exercises and there's typing. That, go ahead and complete that. I'm not saying don't do that. Go ahead and type. I'm saying on your own time though, when you're doing your homework, write it out. Write it out. I cannot stress that enough. So that's a, that's a second, that's a third or a fourth or a fifth valuable tip today also that we're hearing from you writing as kind of consistently writing and, 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 and adding that to the list of tips that you've given us. Uh, one additional question that I see, which is kind of quite uh, important. How much from Sister Shireen, how much do you depend on when you're teaching? Uh, she's one of our teachers at Echo, I believe. How much do you depend on the intermediate language as for a lear with a learner, for example? Uh, yeah. like English language. You mentioned something very interesting initially. You mentioned that your teacher, he doesn't speak English or very little English. So, yeah. so a lot of, we got a lot of um, uh, sometimes complaints in the form of complaints where uh, someone would say, you know, my kid doesn't understand Arabic. I need someone who's excellent in English. And the fact of the matter, all of the teachers in Iqra, they are non-native English speakers. So what do you have, what's your thoughts about this issue? Yeah, so I personally, um, I don't see a resonance. Even in the scientific community, in the linguistic community, debates are going back and forth and I haven't seen any, res there's no resolution. There's no resolution. Um, there are, there is one opinion that says no, the instruction is not, is going to be in the target language, not in you know, the intermediate or the source language. We're not going to have any instruction there. And there have been pros and cons to that. You know, the pro obviously is for those, for a certain amount of students, they really have to step up their game so that they can keep up with just the instructions. Okay. There are people that are not going to be able to do that. You have to expect people to drop out because here I'm trying to learn the language and I don't even, um, I don't even, uh, uh, I can't keep up with the instruction because the instructions in Arabic now. So there are pros to that, but you have to understand that the students should know that going in beforehand and the students should be willing to accept that. If there is an agreement between the teacher and the students that the instruction will be mostly in Arabic where we're only resort to English, for example, when there's a real problem and I, you know, we just can't solve it, but we don't want the whole class to be eliminated just because we're stuck on one or two points. So we resort to English, okay. If that agreement is there, then yes, it'll work. And meanwhile, those students, even you know, weeks after the class is in session, if the students are saying, you know, we can't keep up with this, then you gotta do one or two things. You have to resort to the intermediate language or you have to explain to them that, okay, here's are some of the common words I'm gonna use when I'm instructing get to know these words, okay? That's one opinion. The other opinion is we're going to, uh, we're going to use English, but we'll try to use Arabic where possible. This is the technique I use, 
okay? Uh, I try to use Arabic in certain instances. Like I tell the students, for example, that for the next 10 minutes, I'm gonna, we're just gonna do this in Arabic. And I'll try to use words that you already know, that you've already studied, okay? There is that, but yeah, the intermediate language, you know, living in the West, uh, and because, you know, it's the, you know, uh, most people speak English, I don't think there's any way of getting around that, unfortunately. Now, people will say, yeah, but how are we going to learn speaking? Okay, well, here's the thing, is that my class, for example, I have three objectives. Two of them are, I would say, mandatory, or two objectives are non-negotiable. The third one is optional. The first is understanding of what any can I don't have to give you instruction in Arabic for you to learn the grammatical and morphological concepts of the Quran. We can do that in English, no problem, okay? The second thing is, is we can do the same with the Al-Hadith. We can learn Al-Hadith using English but understanding the Arabic grammar and morphology to be able to analyze and understand the hadith, okay? But the third optional objective I have for students is communicating, writing, and speaking in Arabic and listening, for example. I tell the students that is not possible given the fact that we still pursue it. And I tell them the things that need to be done. In fact, I have after class, I have an extra 10 or 15 minutes for anybody that wants to hang around. We have just a conversation in Arabic, but that's optional. And most of the people do stick around and we have a conversation in Arabic, okay? Um, we, for example, today we're gonna review a video clip from Al Jazeera and we're gonna translate and we're gonna watch the video clip. But yeah, the intermediate language, I don't think there's any way of getting around, around it. One thing I must say though, is that what's failed here in the West and this is something very important to single out and point out. If you notice, most of the successful Arabic teachers in the West are not Arab. And their English is excellent because they can connect with people. Okay? Uh, what has happened is the previous generation of Arabs, may Allah reward them for their efforts. May Allah reward them for effort. I put myself in my shoes. I would probably make the same. I, I would fall short if I was in their shoes as well. They came over from Egypt and Lebanon and Morocco and, you know, the Gulf and Syria and et cetera, right? They came over and they have the heavy accent. And they do have the, uh, their English is, you know, maybe not the best, subpar English. They have the enthusiasm to teach Arabic. And they start an Arabic class at a mosque or at a university or whatever. That enthusiasm is there. And by the way, they know that many of them I've met, they know the Arabic language very well. The Arabic grammar, the morphology. But you can tell in the first or two sessions, there's a major disconnect. Students start looking at the clock. I've been in there. I, I tried to learn Arabic from an Arabic teacher. I mean, I love working. Uh, here in, 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 in the area here. And uh, he even admitted, he said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm having trouble teaching. He admitted that. Because with the language and the delivery, you know, the old school delivery 
like in the back home, I'm sure, you know, you're growing up uh, there. That doesn't work with the students. They, they need, I'm not saying entertainment. I'm totally against, you know, entertaining people. We have a little laughs here and there in the class. That's no problem. But you have to be lively, dynamic, and your language, the intermediate language that you're using has to be laser sharp because this new generation, you know, Indians don't speak like Indians these days. I mean, the new generation. Pakistanis don't speak like Pakistanis. There's, I mean, there's no accent. And they, they don't have that patience to wait for someone to get their thoughts out. So it causes a barrier. And unfortunately, what becomes the victim? Learning with Arabic becomes the victim. All because of these technicalities that are overlooked. So you're not, you're not against using an intermediate language, but uh, cautiously or, or kind yeah. of, yeah. Okay. I use it. I use it. Yeah. I have to. So uh, last question I think that we have today from Sister Sauda is, is, is it possible to learn multiple languages at the same time? Or do you, do you recommend someone pursuing Arabic and another language or uh, what, what's your thoughts about that? So I'm a big proponent of focus. And one of the things about focus means you don't study usul al-fiqh, you don't study tafsir, you, know, you study that later if you want. Uh, you don't uh, study any other subject except for one at hand, and that is Arabic. And in the same breath, I would say that about other languages. If you're learning Italian and Arabic at the same time, well, unless you're a genius, and I'm not a genius, and I, Sister Salva, if you're a genius, and you just, you know, if, you're, if you have uh, the memory of Aisha, the Allah of Anha, who whenever she heard something, even if it was about medicine from tribes coming to treat the Prophet she would memorize the prescriptions. If you have that kind of a mind, yes, I don't see a problem in learning multiple languages. But if you're like me, who I, you know, I work hard, but I'm not a genius, you gotta have the focus and discipline. I would say, focus on the task at hand. Don't clutter your, uh, don't clutter your uh, space with Facebook, and WhatsApp, and other languages, and other subjects, etc. You want to have that laser sharp focus. Uh, Brother Taimur, uh, it's been fantastic having you today. I mean, it's so insightful. I want to I want to emphasize that uh, Brother Taimur has a channel. It's a fantastic channel. Uh, please uh, visit it on YouTube. Some uh, of our audience want to reach out to you directly. Is that fine if we share some contact, uh, some of your, your contact information with some of them? Yeah, uh, that's fine. That's uh, fine. One, uh, one last question. You, we, we heard about your lesson at uh, uh, the Masjid. Mm -hmm. uh, are there any plans to go live with this lesson when it's happening, uh, like on Zoom or something like it's that? It's going to be live on Zoom today. So if anybody wants to, if anybody wants to check it out, okay, uh, it's just a two-hour class. Um, and if you want to use it to, to supplement whatever you're, you know, learning, uh, I have no problem with that. Um, uh, you know, so, so, I, so, yeah, so uh, if you can share with me the link uh, 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 later, the, the Zoom link, uh, and I can share it with the audience, inshallah. I'll also share your channel with everyone. Um, one question that was uh, brought up earlier about free Arabic lessons. 
there are Arabic lessons that are free, uh, obviously, uh, Brother Taymur, but also through Iqra, you can actually have free Arabic lessons. There are, it's group lessons, it's free, and, but you have to ask for it through support or uh, uh, when you're doing your evaluation. Um, just like Allah here, Brother Taymur, one... Uh, yeah, I, sent it, I sent that link there. Okay. I don't know what time it is where, where you guys all are, but we get on that channel at 1.45 p.m. Los Angeles time, Pacific time. Okay. Is that link going to change or is it consistent? The same one every week. It's okay, so it's the same week. every week. So, so please uh, make sure you're, you, you attend if you're interested. Uh, um, and and uh, it's again, it's free, obviously. Uh, next uh, month, inshallah, we have very, very, we're very excited to, uh, uh, we're going to be uh, bringing a speaker, an expert speaker in uh, uh, kind of family therapy. And her Dr. Haq, uh, and she's uh, uh, she ha she uh, she has a fantastic service really, uh, and she's going to be talking about the challenges uh, that we have now uh, going back to school and transitioning uh, back to school with uh, COVID-19, and how can we as families um, handle that and navigate that uh, uh, new um, uh, uh, circumstances and challenges that we're facing. Uh, thank you, everyone, and Jazakallah khair, Brother Taymur. Thank you for your time. This has been incredibly insightful. Inshallah, we're going to post it on our Facebook once it's edited. And thank you, everyone, and hopefully, Inshallah, follow up uh, our newsletter. We're going to be announcing uh, uh, shortly in the next 10 days uh, uh, our next speaker. Jazakallah khair, and Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum